Hey everybody and welcome to the Young Adults Today podcast where we talk about reaching young adults in our world today. Here are your hosts, Josiah and Micah Keneally. What's up guys? Hope you're feeling alive right now. I'm Micah Keneally. I'm Josiah Keneally. We're your host of this, the Young Adults Today podcast. And we are so thrilled for anybody who is just tuning in for the very first time. We are on episode 262. Can you believe it? God is doing some amazing things. He's reaching people in over 50 countries with this podcast. So if you want to rate, review, subscribe, share this with your friends, whether you're a young adult yourself or you're a young adult ministry leader, or maybe you're a grandparent listening, you came across this for whatever reason, and you are passionate about the next generation. We just want to create this resource to just unpack some things that maybe you're in, maybe you're up against, or maybe that you're even wondering in the day and age of which we live. And we have a very special guest today, Josiah, that we've come across and my mind is going to be blown. And I hope the listener that your mind is going to be blown and that you're going to be challenged in good and godly ways when it comes to some of the things we're going to unpack today. You got it. We're in for a treat. It's going to be some fun in advance. We know this. If you have questions about faith, life, adulting, um, culture, 2023, and the the crazy world that we live in, we're going to talk about some of those Mm -hmm. things. And just maybe you've even wondered about existence or God, all of those questions, they're welcome, they're wanted, you have a seat at the table. And Mm -hmm. we're joined today by a very special guest. His name is Dr. Oz Guinness. Welcome to the show today. Thank you so much. What a delight to be with you. We are really excited. And um, fun fact, I'm like 93% Irish and our guest is Irish as well. Dr. Oz Guinness has his doctorate of philosophy from Oxford University. He's a frequent speaker and of course, a prominent thought leader, really a social critic. He's addressed audiences worldwide, like podcasts like this, but in person as well. And he is a senior fellow at Oxford Mm -hmm. Center for Christian Apologetics, and he was the founder of the Trinity Forum. So, Dr. Guinness, I think a great place to start. You have written for over 50 years, I'm pretty sure, a number of books. We'll talk about your newest, um, Signals of Transcendence, in just a few moments here. But before we unpack that, could you just start with some of your journey of life and leadership with us and the listener today? Well, you mentioned Ireland. I come from a long line of famous brewers in Ireland, and <laughs> many people forget that my ancestor, Arthur Guinness, was a wonderful Christian man. He came to faith through John Wesley, and he brought in, you know, Wesley, earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Wow. And so they built philanthropy and generosity into the firm from the beginning, you know, giving higher than usual wages and healthcare, education, all sorts of things for the workers, which almost nobody in the 18th century did. So I'm very proud to be part of that whole generation. My great grandfather was one of the first, no, my grandfather, I mean, one of the first Western doctors in China. And my my parents are born there and I was born there. So my first 10 years were incredible circumstances with war and revolution and death and and so on, a real schooling and realism. (laughs) But uh, uh, that's my background from Ireland. That is incredible. It's always fun to hear people's heritage, where they've come from, the good, 
the crazy, the, the, how did we get here today kind of feeling and just really realizing and recognizing that every single one of you as a listener, like you have a story, you've come yep. from somewhere and yep. God has you on a path. And if he doesn't have you on the path that you should be on, he will lovingly correct you along the way. And we know that as the next generation is they're living Young adults aren't going anywhere. The generations are going to continue to come. Um, Dr. Guinness, I'd be so curious to see and hear what do you or why do you believe that reaching the next generation and young adult ministry, why is that so vital, critical, and important in this day and age? Well, you know, I love to put it this way. If you go back to the story of the Exodus, which is the master story of Western liberation and freedom, on the night of the Passover, the rabbis point out, what did Moses talk about? 430 years of slavery, they're going free. He never mentions freedom. Mm. They're on their way to the promised land, the land of milk and honey. He never mentions it. Three times in the Passover, he talks about the next generation, children. Because obviously, passing it on to the next generation is the key to identity and the key to continuity. So both faith itself and also freedom politically depend on being handed on. And if that collapses in any generation, faith suffers and so does freedom. So I love your emphasis. It's a wonderful one. And sadly in America today, both faith and freedom are somewhat broken down. And there's the younger generation, which in many ways is illiterate, both about faith, sadly, and also about freedom. Oh my goodness. Um, I think that that's really vital and important. And you still spend time at Oxford occasionally, and you've, you've spent there. And some of the brightest minds, I think of um, C.S. Lewis, I think of J.R.R. Tolkien, I think of the questions and some of the doubts, both skeptics mm -hmm. and passionate Christ followers, atheists and theists of all kinds. Um, but I'd really love to ask you this question as it relates to the faith of the next generation. Would you be willing to share about your faith experience, even as it relates to your education or Oxford? Because really, a lot of the listeners today might find themselves and and wake up in their dorm room and be like, I am the only Christ follower on this campus or on the floor mm -hmm. of this dorm that I know. And I think that so many college campuses invite the intellectual questions that are beautiful and wonderful. And, and sometimes they're hostile towards Christianity or faith or the gospel. So would you be willing to share about maybe any of your journey through studies and higher education, but also if you want to point out some, some advice, maybe for the listener who is on the college campus or ministering to college students and, and, just finding that there's a lot of doubt, a lot of questions, and a lot of skepticism. Well, excuse my language. <laughs> there used to be a wonderful old saying, polls be damned, think for yourself. And I say that because we're besieged almost daily in America. You know, the number of so-called religious nuns, N-O-N-E-S, who are leaving the church and so on. And if you talk to many of them, they obviously didn't understand why they believed in the first place, and they didn't understand why it was true. And anyone who really knows who they believe, why they believe what they believe, how they're convinced that what they believe is true, you don't drop out when mm -hmm. things get unfashionable mm -hmm. or costly and tough and so on. So there's a tremendous weakness in the way many have come to faith. Another way of saying that is that 
probably it's good that so many purely nominal people are dropping out so that the real thing can last. So I came to faith in 1960, a long time ago. And I'm very grateful to be a child of the 60s because with the craziness of the counterculture, drugs, sex, rock and roll, you had to think everything back to square one. You had to know what you believed, why you believed, able to defend it, and so on. So that was the sort of robust faith I have. And I've written books on that. We need to understand why we believe what we believe. So however tough the times get, we stand firm, because the gospel is still the best news ever. Amen. That's so good. Wow. And it's, tr- it's transformational for anybody, no matter what they've come from, no matter what they're walking in or on to when they come to a college campus, you know, the word of God not, not only needs to be um, ingested in our minds in our every single day, but it needs to be written on our hearts. So then we need to memorize it. We need to spend time with God. We need to um, just chew on that. And really, if there's any wrestling going on in your heart, when it comes to the <laughs> word of God, like questions are always welcome and they're not the they're not the first person to ask those questions. I think sometimes we're like, right. am I the only one that thinks like this? The answer is probably no. <laughs> <laughs> Just be brave enough to open your mouth and start having those deep intellectual conversations. And um, right now we come across like a lot of young leaders who are hungry and starving for truth, but they could or can be looking at the wrong things. Um, deconstructing their faith, uh, coming alongside friends who are struggling with X, Y, and Z. And I would just be curious, like, what has God been exposing to you or what has been like on your heart or pressing upon your heart when it comes to young adult leaders right now across the world, across the nation, wherever you want to take it? Well, I've had the privilege of speaking to universities all over the world. And always the challenge is they're believing certain things. Have they thought them through and see where they lead to? Remember when our Lord says to us, are you going to leave me? And they say, Lord, to to whom should we go? In other words, when you see the bankruptcy of the alternatives, a simple way of putting it is, if you look at all the big answers out in the world, there are only three big families of faiths. The Eastern, Hinduism, Buddhism, the New Age movement, the secularist family of faiths, atheists, agnostics, materialists, and so on, and then the biblical, above all, Judaism and the Christian faith. And they all have incredibly different understandings of what's final reality. And if you look at the alternative to the Jewish and Christian, they are bankrupt. And so it's not just the excitement of something new. No, no, look on where they lead to. Or put another way, you remember our Lord's story of the prodigal son. The day after he left his father's house, wild horses couldn't have pulled him back. He thought he was magnificently free. When he hit the pigsty and realized what his journey had led him to, he ran home. And you can see it's people who've really looked at it mm-hmm. and see where the alternatives that lead to. They know that the gospel is magnificently good news. As I said, the best news ever, by contrast with the others. Mm. I love love the way that you just taught us to think. I think sometimes um, a great question I like to ask on this podcast or um, ask mentors in my life is, don't always just teach me what to do. Teach me how you think. And I think you just Mm -hmm. really did that. With Mm -hmm. that answer, you taught us to ask the question, what's the alternative? 
that is a remarkable question when you look at the gospel yeah. or when you look at hopelessness. What's the alternative to hopelessness? Oh, no. what's mm-hmm. the alternative to hope? Hopelessness. And so we really get to choose this day who we're going to serve. As for me, it's going to be the Lord. And um, you are, Dr. Guinness, I think the first cultural critic that we've had on the podcast. We've had 200 and some change, great guests. But one question I'd love to pick your brain about today, I'm a very curious person, a lifelong learner, and it's 2023 April at the time we record this, but um, will you comment on our culture today? Teach us about culture in 2023. What are you seeing? What um, what do you see specifically maybe as it relates to America or Christianity or the faith of the next generation? But but talk about culture in 2023. Take us to school for a minute. Just, how long do we have? <laughs> We're on your time today. Let me put it very, very quickly, okay? I think there are two main ways to look at the slice of the apple today. One is to look at the West. The West is what's called at a civilizational moment. Every great civilizational reaches it. Most of them collapse after it. In other words, the civilization loses touch with the inspiration and the dynamic that made it what it was. And at that point, there are only three options. Renew the inspiration, replace it with another inspiration, or decline. Now, the Western world is the fruit of the Bible and the Christian faith rooted in Judaism. And yet you look at America, the intelligentsia in America have not only lost touch with the faith, they've lost touch with the American Revolution. And that's why America's at this crossroads. So look at it in terms of the West and you see we're in an extraordinary moment. Well, another cut in it quickly. Look at America. No question we're deeply, deeply divided, as divided as any time since just before the Civil War. But why? Is it social media? Is it the coastals over against the heartlanders? Is it the populists over against the globe? Various answers are given. The deepest answer is the division between those who understand America and freedom from the perspective of the American Revolution, which was largely biblical. Many Americans don't realize it came from Exodus. And those who understand American freedom from ideas that come down from the French Revolution, not the American. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier deconstruction, postmodernism, the sexual revolution, all that stuff come there, the heirs of the French Revolution, not the American. Mm-hmm. And they will be absolutely disastrous. Now, a lot of young people don't see realize how profound the challenge is or where the ideas come from. So Podcasts like yours are terribly useful in sort of putting people in touch with the deeper ideas. That's so good. Oh, my gosh. Are you having fun? I'm having fun. That's why I'm probably staring at Harley Blinky. I love (laughs) Dr. Guinness, thank you so much for your time. I'm having a blast. I'm basically (sighs) in heaven on earth. This is fun. (laughs) I'm learning, growing, and I know the listeners, too. Oh, my gosh. 
Well, Dr. Guinness, we know that you love to write or you've expressed many of your things. I don't know how many books you've written. You can share all of that stuff, but you just released a brand new book. And can you tell us like, what is your hope for this, the book, the release, the listener today when it comes to when they pick this up um, and the title of your book is Signals of Transcendence. Can you share like, what is the book about? What is your hope for the listener and how to unpack that? Well, happy to. The idea of signals of transcendence came from my academic mentor and then later my friend, Peter Berger. He points out how people have very profound experiences. And what they do is two things. The experiences puncture whatever they believe to that point. They don't satisfy. And point to something else, which if it were true, would make all the difference. So like a beep, 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 beep. These signals point them to something. And what happens is they become seekers, searchers. So I've got 10 stories of here, different people who've had these experiences and start searching. So my hope is that the book is, is, they're not arguments, they're stories, people's lives. People will read these and realize they have similar experiences. And are they really thinking? You know, Socrates used to say, the unexamined life is not worth living. Now, if he's true, millions of people are living lives not worth living. They haven't thought enough. They haven't cared enough to think through where they stand. And that's the challenge today. You know, we're surrounded with things like the social media, you know, so-called screen ages, teenagers dependent on triple screen gazing and so on. Pascal, a great French scientist, called these diversions. In other words, we don't want to think too much about the end of life. We're all going to die, for example. So we surround ourselves with busy, entertaining distractions. And then we don't need to think. And we daydream through life. And the challenge is to get people to start thinking. And that's where they start on the journey to faith in Jesus incredible um would you want it would you have time today to unpack one of those stories you can take any of them um or pick a different story but talk about one of the stories maybe just uh somebody that came across one of these signals of transcendence and and how it resulted for their life well let me pick one that just uh, that i love but also i think has greater resonance of most people today because of the your generation's passion for justice I don't know if they know the story of W.H. Auden, one of the best poets in the 20th century. When he left university, he was well-known as a brilliant young poet, a gay, at a time it was not fashionable to be a gay, and also a radical left-winger. He fought against Franco in the Spanish Civil War. So when World War II was looming, he came to New York to escape from the war. And of course, no television in 1939. So if you wanted to follow things, you went to your local cinema and watched the documentary news each Saturday. And he lived in the Upper East Side of Manhattan. And unbeknownst to him, the local cinema, they were mostly German. Now, of course, at that time, America was not in the war. So the British were fighting the Germans and the Germans the British. And the Brits supported Britain and the Germans supported Germany. And one Saturday, he went in 
and the documentary was on the siege of Poland. And Nazi stormtroopers were bayoneting women and children, brutally. But the German crowd all through the evening, on the side of their own people, kill them, kill them. Orden sat there in the darkness, and his whole atheistic worldview turned upside down. First, he said, I knew there was evil in the world, and evil in my heart too. But more importantly, he said, I had to have an absolute to say that Hitler was absolutely wrong, not relatively wrong. Not just because he was German and I'm British. No, no, absolutely wrong. And so Auden said, I left the cinema, a seeker after an unconditional absolute, and met Jesus. In five minutes in the darkness, that signal of transcendence, the intuitive sense that to fight justice, you had to have an absolute standard of good, spurred his search, and he came to faith. A wonderful story. Oh, my That's goodness. That's awesome. Oh, my gosh. That uh, is so, so powerful. I think that, you know, it even follows the story mm. of the the character, you know, coming across a problem or evil or good and evil. It's just, I think one of the things that's so compelling about creativity or cinema today or, or stories mm. and, and narrative is this powerful forces that are at work of good and evil and call them whatever you want. Um, there's darkness and there's light, there's good and there's evil. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just really an inspiring story. I hope that the listener will pick up signals of transcendence yeah. and uh, they can hear more, they can yeah. read more of the story and switching gears one more time, just a little bit. I'd love to know culturally what you've studied Dr. Guinness on millennials, Gen Z, maybe even the alpha gen, um, as it relates to faith, mm. like, what are you finding? What have you learned? What, what stands out to you as maybe a few of those, um, key things for leaders to have insight about? Mm, my word. No, my own passion has been on the one hand to make sense of the gospel to those outside the church in the world. And on the other hand, to try and make sense of this crazy world we're living in to people inside the church. So if you put it in two words, but I wouldn't put it in two words, on the one hand, apologetics, on the other hand, analysis. So I try and do that with people at whatever level. So I live in Washington, and I talk sometimes to congressmen and senators and so on, and they're interested in things at one level. Go to a campus, and people are thinking through the meaning of life at a completely different level. But obviously, in today's campuses, well, the 60s was pretty radical. um, And today's world is somewhat more like that. But there's much more nihilism today. And the crisis of meaning and the rise of suicides and drug addiction and so on. So, for instance, I follow the mass shootings in America. As you know, I'm not American. I'm a visitor to this country. You know, certain people say every time there's a shooting, guns, 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 more Red flag laws. No, no. Certainly there's a gun in every mass murder. But there's also in everyone a loner. Someone the product of a really broken family. So you take the Parkland shootings. His sister said he was doomed from the womb. His mother was a drug-addicted, alcoholic prostitute. And the way he was brought up, well, he was responsible 
but so also a society. And so we've got to understand how the present culture in America is unraveling and terrible things are happening, sometimes decadent, sometimes wicked, sometimes bizarre, but the younger generation are often just the victims of the chaos, the harvest of chaos, which crazy ideas are brought into this culture. You know, there's a saying, the worst is the corruption of the best. Germany was the best educated, most civilized, and the heartland of the Reformation and produced Hitler National Socialism. America is the most Protestant country in the Western world now, and yet you can see with the collapse of it coming the horror of great darkness, and many in your generation are victims of all that's happening. Wow. I love how you explain all this. This is definitely how my mind does not think, which I need to be challenged in this way. But just recognizing and realizing that all of us as leaders, as pastors, as people, marketplace, business owners, whatever they are as a listener, to know that we are standing on the shoulders of somebody else. We potentially have the ability, we are the byproduct of somebody else's fruit, right? And it's a matter of what we're going to do with where we've been raised, what family we've been, you know, placed in and just really allowing God to radically wreck us to reconciliation with him through the cross. And I would just be curious, how would you encourage the the young adult ministry leader, the young adult themselves, leaders, maybe they're listening and they're just, maybe they're in the, in the marketplace, whatever it is, but how would you just encourage us to like lead well and be the light in such a dark culture and world when it feels like we're constantly swimming against the cultural currents, the cultural norms, because we're living for Christ, because we're reading the word of God, because we do have a personal conviction, not only to live for God and share his love, but to actively live out truth when the world's saying one thing and God's kingdom is, you know, saying another, how can we Mm -hmm. as leaders be the light in the chaos and do it well? Well, first, don't be afraid to be countercultural. The first word to Abraham, negative, leave. He was called to leave his country, culture, and kin, the three things that shape us all. We are called to be countercultural in the world, but not of the world. We're in the city of God, not in the city of man. Now, our culture is forcing us once again to be countercultural, and that's good. But to do that, we need to really know the Lord personally. We can't rely on pastors or fellowship groups. We we certainly need all of those. We need to know the Lord for ourselves. Thirdly, be people of the word. It's the authority of the word that keeps people faithful. And then fourthly, I would say, make sure you read history. Too many Americans are just ignorant of history or they leave it to something you Google to settle an argument or whatever. History is what is so key to identity and to continuity and to our encouragement because people have faced things like we're facing before. But what an incredible time to stand firm. I love that. I have one more question to kind of piggyback off that. In my mind, I keep thinking when we're talking about the distractions of social media, the buzzing, ringing, and digging. It's like we we just, we purchased a home about three years ago and the people who we purchased it from, like they were in their seventies. So it's like they have the 
the everything's dinging. It's like there's this the going out. The was so intensely loud. The doorbell's going. The doors ding when you open them. The fridge is dinging. The dishwasher's going. I was like, How? this is overwhelming for me. There's like 10 things buzzing, ringing, and dinging. And that's just in my home. That's not the pull of children or marriage or ministry or just everyday life or social media and everything we have on our phone, let alone in our car, like all the bells and whistles. But with that, I feel like we become so desensitized to the Holy Spirit. We become so desensitized to or ignorant in the process of trying to discover, like, what is the word of God? What is the will of God? Is this my thought or is this a thought from the enemy? Or is this truly God speaking to me through worship or somebody? And I keep getting this image of like the walking dead. Like we're just going through the emotions. We're living vicariously through something else, through some... I don't know, Netflix original, like whatever it is that people just numb themselves. And I would just be so curious to say, or just how can we learn to live fully alive in Christ for the listener who's leading, who like feels like they're serving the mission and vision of the lead pastor. And they feel like they can't maybe lead their own, or they feel the buzzing ringing and digging and the pressures of the, the world watching them because we've placed ourselves out there, right? How do we steward what God has given us? And how do we live fully alive? (laughs) One key thing in response to what you're saying is what the Old Testament calls the Sabbath or for us the Sunday. In other words, it was a day of time out, of literally stopping and sensation and a reminder that the Lord is creator. We're only creatures. And if you don't do that, if life just becomes womb to tomb, hamster wheel sort of living, you know, we're just driven. And I think the Sabbath and books like Abraham Heschel on that and so on, they're wonderful to people to get. So one day a week, put aside your cell phone and so on. And we need to recover the brilliance and the beauty of the Sabbath to bring sanity back into this crazy driven world. Amen. Amen. I love that. It's so it's so good. It's common sense, is it not? Why don't we do common sense? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's how can you be mad at a God who asks you to take a day off a week? Yeah. It's, it's really a, so good. a gift. And um, one of my prayers, I'm 31 years old. And one of my prayers is that God would lead me in his way everlasting and to become a lifelong learner. And most specifically to become a person of depth and substance. And I get so excited talking to you. Dr. Guinness, because you have achieved that 30 plus books. Um, I believe this is your 50th year of publishing and writing your works. So congratulations mm-hmm. on that. And um, I'd just be curious because I think there's the, the thinking side that we've talked about. There's the writing side, there's the speaking side, and those are all aspects of our ministry. We mm-hmm. have two podcasts. We write each year, different works of book projects that um, we're passionate about and and there's thinking involved of a prep for a podcast like this, asking questions, but um, along those lines of thinking, of writing, mm. of speaking, I mean, the listener gets to sit in on this one, but my selfish question today from you, Dr. Guinness, how can I hone the craft mm. of becoming a person of depth and substance? Mm. My word, I think any very general advice I gave would be too general, whereas I need to know you particularly to be able to say something much more specific. But, you know, I never set out to be a writer. I sort of fell into it accidentally. 
Um, but I think the, the basic thing, all the people I, I've known, I don't know if you know names like John Stott and Billy Graham. Yeah. You know, they were my heroes growing up, and I got to know both of them as wonderful friends. But always with these great giants of the faith, it is the daily thing of morning worship, you know, of regular fellowship and accountability and things like this that are absolutely the key. So you said you're 31. I've got a one in my age too, but a good many decades more than you. Uh, but you just go on one year after the other with the Lord's faithfulness. So people sometimes say, how can you think of this? No, I've just been around the, the track a lap or two more than you. But the day will come when you've been around the track many laps more than people you're sharing with. And too, that's the glory of going old, knowing the Lord as we go on. So we learn in wisdom and we grow. You know, one of the most, you asked me earlier, simple questions like advice given to you. I'll never forget when I was uh, first asked to speak in Australia, a very arduous tour, and I was a little nervous, 10 weeks with four talks a day. It was pretty arduous. And I went to John Stott and I said, John, you've been to Australia many times. What would be your advice to me? And he saw I was nervous and somewhat worried. And I was 30 then, your age. John just looked at me and smiled and he said, be yourself. And I've never forgotten that. The mm -hmm. Lord has made us who we each are. And the essence of our calling is to be ourselves at every moment as unto mm -hmm. him before the world. And often we get far too complicated with all sorts of things and uh, paralyzed by all the complications. And at the end of the day, we are who we are. Be yourself before the Lord. That's good. I will take that to heart, Dr. Guinness. And um, the fun story about Billy Graham, we live near Minneapolis. When I was five, Billy Graham was 75. And he <laughs> preached um, like a youth and kids. Um, one of his crusades was really about youth and kids and the next generation. And that's where I responded to Christ, gave my life to Christ. And I'll, mm -hmm. I'll always remember that. I can still hear That's his right. voice um, echoing. And uh, you, you bring up kind of the idea of mentorship, accountability. And I think that mm -hmm. mentoring is a word that's daunting to everyone, most people at least, because the younger generation that that I talk to, they're it's almost like dating. They're a little bit afraid or nervous to put themselves out there and to ask somebody out on a date or to ask somebody to be their mentor. And then sometimes qualified mentors who followed Christ for decades self-select out because they don't feel worthy of being mm -hmm. a mentor. And yet mentoring and the intergenerational aspect of the faith and life, mm -hmm. um, you think of children, grandchildren, and then parents, grandparents, and and just the, the generations. God definitely uses a lot of imagery throughout scripture of the different generations. Mm -hmm. And that's just part of the way he's wired it. And the question for you is, um, what are your thoughts on mentoring, whether it's peer mentorship, reverse mentorship, just traditional mentorship, but how can we uncomplicate the idea of, well, this really mentorship mm -hmm. and the art of conversation or stories and narratives and asking questions and sharing life? How can we maybe make that more accessible for people in our world today? Well, think of the essence of why. If you go back to the Bible and then you look, say, at Socrates and Plato, 
they actually shared something very deep at the point there, which was the deepest knowledge cannot be put into words. So it has to be learned in experience under authority in ordinary life. So Plato was a disciple of Socrates. James and John and the others were disciples of our Lord. Even our Lord couldn't put everything into words. You know, in Mark 3.14, it says, he chose 12 to be with him to be sent out to preach. Verse 14. The middle one, people think, oh, well, that's a privilege they had to be with him. Being with him was actually the heart of their discipleship. They learned from him things he didn't even put into words. Of course, we do that with our families, with our kids. But that's why we all need tutors. And actually, mentor, you know, in the Odyssey is not the real model. The better word is tutor or disciple. But that's the idea. Some things are too deep to put in words, even by a master. So you have to learn them in experience, under authority in life. Does that answer your question? Oh, my gosh. I'm really fired up. I, I love picking your brain. This is fun. Oh, that is so good. Well, Dr. Guinness, we've come to the last little segment of our episode where we have five questions. Oh, in yeah. potentially, potentially five minutes, however you want to go. Um, but they're just kind of for the audience to get to know you and just kind of have some fun. Are you ready for the challenge? Yeah. All right. Up. All right. So question number one is, what has God been teaching you lately? Well, I'm at an age where I wonder how much more I live. And so I pray daily, Lord, teach me to count my days to make my days count. And while I would like to write this or maybe that, I have two or three ideas. I say, Lord, I don't want to be presumptuous because I'll never forget reading about Picasso, who, when he was 90, said that every blank canvas was an affront to him. So he poured out the art, but it got more and more mediocre as he went on. I don't want to do that. Obviously, you only do what the Lord wants you to do. That's my prayer as an older man. You're at a completely different stage of life. Totally. In in light of that question, the next question is, what are you dreaming about, hoping for, praying for? Um, even if if God, should he tarry and, and allow, what, what would be maybe one of your dreams that um, hasn't come to pass yet? Well, here in what I mentioned earlier, the division in the country and the difference between 1789 and 1776, the big difference, there's no Abraham Lincoln today who appeals to the better angel and calls America to what he called a new birth of freedom, what we would have to call a new new birth of freedom. So part of my passion, and I often say it speaking in Washington, where is the Abraham Lincoln or the leader for our time? Someone who will bring glory to the Lord by calling the nation back. That is part of my dream and passion at this stage in my life. I mean, the mm. two question 2.5, are you optimistic about that? Because if I'm honest and vulnerable for a second, I want the listener to have to guess which way I lean politically. Like I, politics isn't my brand or my passion, but um, I do have convictions that align mm. with God and his word. And I'm optimistic. I'm hopeful. 
And yet I do have questions about politics. And I think maybe part of it is just without being able to put it in words, I think I'm longing for the Mm -hmm. same thing. Are you optimistic about that? What would it take for that to happen? Well, just I avoid the word optimism. (laughs) It's usually a matter of psychology is the glass half full or half empty. Or, you know, the circumstances is the market bullish or bearish. I think we are always hopeful always hopeful, however dark the hour. So that's Christian realism with hope. So I don't know if I'm going to see some of these things. That's not my business. That's the law. All I've got to do is be faithful. There it is. I thought your follow-up question was going to be, are you going to try to run for presidential election in 2024? <laughs> he didn't go there. That's what I thought oh. you were going to ask, but oh my goodness, too funny. Well, here's kind of the curveball, um, Dr. Guinness. If you could ask Josiah and myself a question, what would you want to know about us, ministry, life, any question you have under the sun for us today? Well, I'm sorry. I'm in a program where you're asking me all the questions. You know, when I'm with people, I truly love to hear where they are. I'd love to hear what your heart is and what you do locally in Minneapolis and so on. And I'm just sorry that the very nature of a podcast puts it the other way around. Yeah. I think the first way we love people is by listening to them. Mm -hmm. And so I'd love to hear more of your story. Yeah. Well, our story is we were both called into ministry, being in our singleness. I'm originally from North Dakota. Josiah is from Minnesota. And we knew that we were called in ministry separately. So when we met, it's like, wow, our life is headed in the same direction. Called to young adults between the ages of 18 to 30, passionate about the Lord, reaching them, getting them connected to the heart of Christ, the heart of the church, but then also a good and godly community where they can give, grow, and go. And so we started pioneering as we were dating. We were just, he was on staff as a pastor and just kind of serving the local um, young adults here. And then we got married and we saw that every Every stage of our life that was evolving, the ministry was evolving with us. So it's like when we started dating and all these people in young adult ministry came like, we're all these dating couples. And then we got engaged and like all these engaged couples. Then we were married. Now people and our friends that we did ministry with even eight to 10 years ago, we're all having children. So just um, our passion is between the 18 and 30 year old to really help equip them yeah. um, as the saints to have the tools sharpened and ready for battle in every single day, whether it's the word of God written on their heart, their spiritual gifts, um, talents, treasures, whatever that is and looks like, and just trying to equip them. So we feel like it's our opportunity to set the table for the generations to come. There's always room. That's one of our mottos. Like there's always room for more at the table uh, in heaven and at our table, literally in our home and ministry. So we're very passionate about reaching them, equipping them with resources, rallying points, relationships, and, um, Yeah. So I think that's where we come alive. And our hope is that we can live and leave a legacy that is not about Mike and Josiah, but it's bigger and beyond us that we could just be vessels that God is using. Um, Yeah. And give it all like to truly hear a good and faithful servant, Mm because I don't know if everybody's going to hear that. Mm -hmm. So live with that holy conviction. Yeah. Maybe you have a different answer. No, I'd say some of the things that we're dreaming about is where we Uh, stay up late at night dreaming about ways to creatively reach young adults in our world today. We Mm -hmm. wake up early in the morning because our our two girls are three and one and a half and they're good alarm clocks, but also we just love life. We, um, we love the opportunity to serve God, to, to show people love in our neighborhood, in our community, in our world. 
Um, some of the things we're working on that we're really excited about are in just a month from today, actually, we'll be with a few hundred young adults and just doing a weekend retreat at a camp where, mm-hmm. you know, some of the buzz and ringing and thing, and they can put their cell phones aside and mm-hmm. grow in godly community, grow in yeah. relationships, learn from teachers, pastors, leaders, um, worship Jesus, uh, ask questions, have conversations, meet meet friends and mm-hmm. community. And so I don't know, those are some of the things that we're working on and excited about, but um, no, that's great, great. That question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's great. That's beautiful. Thank you. Oh, oh of course. Thanks, thanks for asking it. Yeah. Um, fourth question of Ooh. five is back to you. If you would be willing to share about a tutor, um, a friend, maybe a lifelong friend, but somebody who impacted your life in a, a lasting way, Mm-hmm. Maybe God even used it as a signal of transcendence. Maybe not, but kind of one of those providential relationships that has lasted a lifetime. Tell us about one of those friends. Well, I don't know if you know the name Francis Schaeffer. Mm-hmm. I went to Labrie in Switzerland uh, when I was 26, and I had the privilege of living with Francis Needed wow. for three odd years. And it was absolutely extraordinary. And people at the heyday of Labrie, when thousands were coming to faith in Jesus, uh, people often ask me, what was his secret? And I just put it like this after having lived with him. He loved the Lord passionately. He loved people passionately. And he loved truth passionately. So Schaefer was not the greatest preacher I've ever heard compared, say, with John Stott. But almost every Sunday, when he was talking about something about the scriptures, his voice would almost break. He was overcome with wonder at what he was saying. Equally, when he talked to people, you could look in his eyes and he'd ask them their story. And after two or three minutes, his eyes would just be welling up with tears. He was so empathetic. And equally about truth, you could have said what Nietzsche said about himself, All truth is bloody truth to me. Truth was never casual to Schaefer. He wasn't dour and serious all the time. He could laugh and joke. But when you're talking about things that were true, they mattered. And so I picked up those sort of things. I mean, he never said any of those things. That's my uh, conclusion, having lived with him for three years. But they made an incredible difference to me. No kidding. The power of people and their their testimony of living everyday life, right? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Well, we've come to the very last question. So this is kind of the end of our time coming up. But if you could leave the listener with one piece of encouragement today, what would you leave them with? Mm. Wow. <laughs> you know, I said I grew up and my last two years in China when I was 10, I lived in the reign of terror persecution. My dad was hauled up with a false trial. It was terrible. You know, when the Japanese invaded earlier, 17 million were killed. We lived in a famine in which 5 million died in three months, including my two brothers. There was war, revolution, plague, death, persecution, you name it. In all that time, I never saw my parents' faith in the Lord waver once. They were obviously deeply grieving, say, my brother's death or whatever. I never saw them waver in their faith. And their attitude, I've often put, was like this. God is greater than all. God can be trusted in all situations. 
have faith in God, have no fear. You know, we're in an incredible, crazy world at the moment, whether we're talking about America or nuclear things or whatever. Too many people are afraid. You need to have faith in the Lord and have no fear. Oh, my goodness. That is refreshing to hear you talk about that, Dr. Guinness. Um, what a charge mm-hmm. to leave us with is to have faith in the Lord and to have no fear. That mm-hmm. that really fires me up. Oh, my gosh. We are so honored and privileged to have you. Thank you so much for joining us. My privilege to join you. Oh. I appreciate the wonderful Irish name. Oh, let's go. Well, hey, if you're listening and you want to find out more about Dr. Oz Guinness, about his newest work, Mm -hmm. um, Signals of Transcendence, we will link those in the show notes. You can pick it up anywhere books are sold. And this is the Young Adults Today podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Young Adults Today podcast. If you enjoyed it, feel free to subscribe, leave a review, and share this with someone you know. Plug me in. I'm getting charged up right now, yeah.